Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 55. And today we have another special guest for you, none other than the Headshot King himself, former model, Olympic sailor, and number one best-selling author, the brains behind Hurley Pro and the Headshot crew. Please welcome Mr. Peter Hurley himself. Peter, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is cool to be on with you guys. I liked uh, what you guys have been up to. Fantastic. So I know you've you've actually just recovered from COVID. Is that right? Yeah, I got it uh, end of March. End of March. So it's been yeah, it's been a, it's been a month and a half. But it was it was rough. But I got through it. It was more the family I was worried about than than myself. I, mean, I was a little freaked out, but it was really the family. So everybody got it, and everybody got through it. So we're all right. How are you feeling now? You f- I feel pretty good now. It lingered for a while, um, but I feel pretty good now. Uh, I, it was just really frustrating. Maybe it was the beginning of March. I don't know. It was just frustrating that I was so careful for an entire year, and then I had. I think there was this misconception. People started getting vaccinated. So they would come into the studio and I'm shooting them. I was masked up the whole time, any clients I got. And I did some workshops and everything. And I, I never, I was always fine. I never got it. And then people started coming, I'm vaccinated. Don't worry about it. You don't need to wear a mask with me. And I do. And I just dropped my guard to, I'm not sure which client there were two clients in a row who did that. And, and I got it. My assistant got it. Um, and I just was like, I didn't, you know, people should educate the public that if you're vaccinated, that doesn't mean you're not carrying it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing reports here now, aren't we, of people who've had the vaccination or both jabs that are, um, are going back into hospital with COVID and, you know, it's just, it's not a be all and end all. Yeah, we're good to go. We've got the vaccination. That's not the case, right? It's, you still got to be careful. You know, people that are vaccinated that are still going into hospitals. Yeah, we've got some reports over here. Yeah. Yeah, so after I got over, I was like, I, I was wondering how long I had to wait till till I got the shot. And then they they said, I'm probably going to have antibodies for like 90 days. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I guess, all right, I can run around like a maniac and not care. I'm fine. <laughs> and then, but then I was like, I should probably get it, get the vaccination anyway. So I got my first shot and I'm doing the second next week. Yeah, I got the first shot. You, have you gotten your first shot yet? No, you're not old enough. Oh, you're not old enough. That's right, my friend. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that just ages me. That just makes me sound so much older. <laughs> yeah, it was funny with the ages over here because they they started to go down. I was like, all right, I'm I'm 51 now, so it was like, okay, now everybody over 50 can go, and then it just went 40s and then 30, and then they just said, okay, anybody who wants me, so. I'm like, well, I'm obviously we're very glad you're feeling better. I hope your assistant's feeling better as well and uh, has got yeah. through it unscathed. It was just a little bit, it was frustrating with the schedule because I, you know, with COVID, obviously a lot of photographers out there aren't that busy. I've got a studio to run and got to keep the, the lights on and everything. And that week I had a huge week coming in and I had to cancel there. I was like, and I thought, okay, I'll cancel everything. It'll be fine. But some were, I rent the studio, some were rentals and the clients, like a p- bunch of them just didn't want to reschedule it and just didn't come back. So I was like, geez, I, I lost out because I got this freaking thing too. So that was fun. When COVID first um, hit in New York, and I know, I mean, you know, just by uh, watching the news reports, I know New York, New York City got hit pretty hard at the very beginning. Did you have to shut down completely in the beginning? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, 
in the beginning was weird because I was looking at the reports and I didn't take it seriously. And it was the beginning of March and I had to go to Australia because I was doing some workshops and I was racing, I raced sailboats. So I was, there was a world championship there. So I was like, my wife's like, you shouldn't go like with all this going on, just don't go. And I was like, I've got two workshops. I've got a world championship. I already have the ticket, the place I already paid for. Like, I was like, I'm going. So I jumped on a plane. I get down there. I'm there like one day and they cancel the world championship. And I'm like, <sighs> Oh my gosh. And I'm all the way here. What am I going to do now? Am I, and then that was the day that, um, Trump had closed off flights from Europe to the United States. And my wife's like, you're going to get stuck there. You better get back, get your ass back here. And I was like, oh shit. So I jump on a plane, I come back. And that's when I really thought I got, I got COVID because I quarantined in my studio and I was really sick, but I got tested and I didn't, I guess I didn't have it, but I was, I must have had something from the flight. I mean, I was a mess. And, uh, so we shut down and I was crashing in the, in the studio and, uh, I lived like two to three, I lived like two blocks away. And, um, my wife would like put food outside our door for me and I'd eat it in the hallway. It was really crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And I didn't shower for like two weeks. And then finally I was just like, look, just, just, I got to come into the house and like, just clear a line for the bathroom and I'll wear my mask and you can disinfected after I'm gone. And I finally got a shower, but, and then we kind of all learned how to protect ourselves and deal with COVID. And I think everybody got pretty good at it, I guess. I, I mean, at least I did for a year until I let my guard back down. So did you say you went to Australia to, to sail in a, in a world championship? Yeah, I raced sailboats. I was, I was training for the Olympics when I was younger and on the United States sailing team. And now that what happened was I got out of shape. I was like a mess. I was shooting every day. I, I pinched a nerve in my neck. I was like a lot heavier and I was just like hurting myself with the, um, the stress of shooting every day, I guess. Um, and it took me out for a while. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm almost, I turned 45 and I was like, all right, I'm like, I was like 40 pounds overweight, maybe 30 or 40 pounds. I don't know. You guys go by pounds over there or kilos. Sure. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Both. You go both. Yeah. So yeah, he's um, British and I'm German. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're converting. Yeah. I don't know how many kilos that is, but it doesn't sound good. Um, so I, I lost, I had a world championship. So it's an age thing. I turned 45 and I went into this age bracket in this boat that I trained for the Olympics in. And I was the, for the boat, I, you got to weigh like a 185 is the desired weight for that. I wanted to get to. So it was January 1st and I was 230. And I, by J July 10th, I had to be 185 and I did it and I went and sailed and I got second in the world. So wow. I was like, wow, all right, I could do this. And then that's kept me in shape ever since, um, 51 now. And, and so it keeps me in shape. I love to do it. It also gets me traveling around the world. So the next world championships in Barcelona in September. So what I do is I, wherever I go, I set up workshops. So hopefully, uh, everything settles down by then I'll set up some workshops in Europe, do my race and then figure out where I'm going to go. I don't think I'll do a workshop in Barcelona just unless it's a destination workshop for people because I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't speak Spanish. My wife's Venezuelan, but my Spanish is terrible. So I'll usually go to London and do one or Amsterdam and London or where I normally do them. 
um, done them in Switzerland. I did it in Munich. I did it in Berlin. Uh, I did one in, uh, yeah, I did it in Zurich. I did it in Stockholm. I'm trying to think where else I did it. Did it in Dublin. Um, Vienna. I did one in Vienna. I love it because I get to go wherever I want. I'm just like, all right, let's do it here. If we can get a bunch of photographers in a room, what do we got to lose? And then it's just it's just a lot of fun. So so let me get this straight. So you are not only top of your game in photography, you are top of your game in sailing as well. That is quite something. That's so impressive that you can be world class in two completely different disciplines. That's amazing. Absolutely thanks. stunning. Yeah, thanks. I, I think I got lucky. I mean, I think that oh, I guess, he's modest too. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the it was the the way it happened. I mean, I, I wasn't that good of a I mean, I'm a good sailor, but I'm not. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm the U.S. sailing team. I never made it to the. I was fourth on the team, and top five make the U.S. team, but only one goes to the Olympics. So I didn't get. I wasn't just wasn't good enough to go to the Olympics. Um, I was good, but I wasn't that good. My best ranking was 17th in the world against the Olympians, and then you know. So I, I consider myself a really good sailor. It's my favorite thing. Oh, well, Photography is probably my favorite thing to do. It's my second favorite thing, most favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, you know, but the thing about it is that I'm very fortunate of, and I don't know what if you guys played sports when you were younger or anything. Most sports that we play when we're younger, um, you can't compete at the same level when you get older. So you really, you know, you can maybe still do it. Like my buddy said to me, he's like, I, I played baseball in college like i can't go get a bunch of guys together and go play baseball like you get to do exactly what you did so i still sail against the guys the olympic the guys training for the olympics i'm still starting next to them i'm still beating them in races sometimes i don't beat them very often but i'll beat them in a race here and there and that's just cool uh the guy who was the gold medalist when i was training for the olympics just got second in a and he's 47 now i think uh, he just got second sailing against all the Olympians. So the P the time that I was doing, everybody was good. Like this guy was amazing. Then he's amazing now. Um, so the fact that I can compete at a high level in the boat that I love is just, I just feel lucky. And then, you know, it opened up, uh, photography randomly happened because of the sailing. Um, Polo was looking for real sailors to do an ad campaign. And they, they, they were like, you're good looking. Let's throw you in front of a camera. I was like, okay. And Bruce Weber was a photographer and Bruce and I became friends and he convinced me to pick up a camera. And then I also had an, uh, agent send me to a, to a, um, casting director for a soap opera. And the guy's like, Hey, if you get an acting class, maybe we can get you going, but we'll put you on the set for a little bit. So they put me on the set. I got into acting class. I had to take headshots. Like it was all this random stuff. I don't know if you guys know, but it like this happened where you can look back on your lives and you see like these chunks where a lot of shit happened to you. You're like, holy smokes, what the heck happened? Why did that all happen at that concentrated time? Like my life went through this crazy, um, massive stuff going on back when I was younger. And then it just threw me on this trajectory trajectory and i've just been smoking ever since down this this path 
um, because of what happened in my late twenties, right around 30 years old. And I'm 51 now. So I just feel lucky that I got thrown on this path. And then, you know, it's just, it's just who knew. I mean, it was really, it's weird because it went like when I was doing, getting started, I'm just motor mouth. You guys should ask me, I should shut up. So you can't <laughs> <Keep going. laughs> but I was, I was like in the mix doing my thing. And I didn't know there was a teaching component to photography. Like I'm trial and error guy. Like I taught myself everything. Um, you know, Bruce Weber was my mentor. He never told me what an ISO aperture or shutter speed was. Like I didn't know anything. I only knew from being a model. So I would model when I decided to pick up a camera, like for the first five years of modeling, I didn't ever think I'd be a photographer. So I know paid no attention to photographers. But then when I decided to become a photographer, I became the most annoying model that they ever encountered. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what are you doing now? What's over there? The, can you get in front of the camera and just, just look at, no, what's this light? Why is this light over here like this? You know, and they thought I was nuts. So my agent was like, you got to stop. You, you're going to not get any job. And my modeling career took tanked. Um, but I was like learning through that process. So I never really assisted any photographers or did anything like that. I just learned through the process and then taught myself trial and error. And then uh, because I was an actor and did headshots, I was like, oh, I think I could do that. And then it was really the headshot market that was already built here in New York that I was like, this is cool. I can, I can figure out how to, how to build this business. And then it was really the F stoppers that made it global for me. Like they, it was it, before then I was just a guy in a studio taking headshots. I don't think anybody knew what I was doing. I don't even know how, you know what Lee will say that when he was in college, he was researching and he found my work. And he emailed me. He's like, I emailed 20 photographers in college and only one emailed me back. And it was this guy, Peter Early. And then he decided when he started F-Stoppers to email me and ask me if he could interview me. And I was like, sure. So we came here and they did an interview. And that's what, that changed everything for me. So then I went from just a photographer shooting in my studio to, hey, you know, would you ever teach this stuff? And I was like, the only thing I ever taught was sailing. So... I taught Sam. I was like, I guess I could teach retirement anyway. And now here we are. So now I'm full, full on shooting. I still shoot up a storm. I sail up a storm, but I teach like a maniac as well. So I'm uh, running everybody with my headshot crew, uh, which is global now. And we do referrals and give jobs out for headshot drivers all over the planet. And I just think that's cool. And like I said, I don't, I don't feel like I did anything feel like I got lucky with the F-stoppers making me global. Um, Bruce Weber telling me to pick up a camera. Right place, right time, right trajectory, and then just run them with it. So. What's funny, you were, what you were saying about Lee, in, in actual fact, we're actually talking to Lee at the moment for him to come on the show as well. So we, we might be talking oh, to him cool. um, in the near cool. future. But you know what's interesting is is um, when when I first got into photography and I, you know, I got into, in inverted commas, professional photography, as in like making money from it, um, you know, I very quickly sort of thought like, oh, headshots might be a really good thing to do because I, I really like um, shooting people and I love doing portrait work and that sort of thing. And I actually just, I really dig headshots. It's just a thing. It's like a modern form of portraiture. Yeah. And so I looked up headshots on the old Google machine. And of course, one of the first things that came up was your work. And I'm and it, it, immediately I was like, 
whoa, this looks cool. He's chopping the head off. Awesome idea, <laughs> you know. And um, but it's also this uh, this really recognizable look and style to to your work. How did you get from um getting a camera, starting to shoot, presumably other models or something like that, uh, to doing headshots and then to developing your you know really recognizable style? Um, yeah. I mean, I started shooting, so I picked up a camera and I went into my agency. And it was click models here in New York. And I said to the booker, Stephanie, I was like, Stephanie, I want to shoot the guys. And she's like, she's like, well, show me your work. And uh, I really didn't have any. So I was like, oh, all right. So I took one of the guys into the subway and shot him and shot it. It happened to be a really close up headshot. And I talked, I brought it to her and showed her. And she's like, this is great. You can shoot anybody you want. I was like, cool. I didn't know what to charge them. I didn't charge them. I try at the time it was film. So I, I, I just would ask people at first, I didn't charge anybody anything. I paid for the film, but then I was like, all right, 20 bucks. It cost me to process this thing, 20 bucks for a roll of film. Uh, and that's how it started. Um, so I just feel like the, I did that for a while and I really didn't shoot actors or start a headshot business till 2002. And I picked up my camera in 2000. So I was shooting model tests for their portfolios and stuff, which was all I knew because I was a model and I had done test shoots with photographers. So I just started doing that. And then one of the, one of the models was acting too and was like, Hey, can you take edge? I was like, sure. Just, yeah, just look in the camera and come a little closer. And then, then that was it. I was like, all right, let me try this. So the style of it went from, I just liked it super clean and it was all black and white. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it on a white background, black and white, natural light, because I didn't really know what I was doing with lights. I had lights, but I, I was a mess. Um, so it, and it worked, it worked out really well. Do you remember the first time that you saw somebody else emulating your style? That's a good question. I sound, I pretty much emulated and well, I was really into Richard Avedon. I liked his, his black and white portraits, right? So I was kind of into that. But my first headshot photographer shot me horizontally on a white background, kind of with natural light. He had like a tungsten light that he was using it for fill and stuff. Uh, and we became friends. And then I got him another job for another shoot. And then I was like, I really like the way he does it. And he was kind of the inspiration between for me to do it. And then, and then he got pissed at me because he thought I was copying him. And then, and I surpassed him in sales and he wasn't happy and it was a big mess. So I was like, always like, um, I never even worried about that. And now I, I applaud people who copy me because I, I need them to copy me because I actually don't give them work unless they can copy me. It's crazy. So I have this agency called Headshot Booker and we get every day we get companies that are global that or you know all over the u.s or they may be global and they want to match the they want to try and match the work on their site wherever these people are so we've had shoots where we'd have to match a shot in moscow with one in sydney and then another client in london we just did one in, i think ivan shot in london for me and then uh we have a moscow photographer took care of moscow sydney uh and then all over the u.s san francisco seattle new york um so, and we, we, so we have to, we want to match that for the client and be a one-stop shop. So we do that. And, uh, it's cool. It's like amazing to be able to do, but I was just having a, 
a conversation with one of my buddies in LA and uh, I'm over, I'm over, I'm opening up another studio in LA. I used to have one. I got rid of it in 2013 and I miss it. So we're opening up a headshot booker studio in LA. And I told him, I said, look, I'm not, I can't refer you people unless you shoot like me. Like he's like, I can shoot like you. I said, show me. You haven't shown like he's my buddy. And he decided, and I, and we had a studio together Well, I used to crash in his studio. And I was like, I need to give you work, but you can't, I can't unless you can shoot like me. He goes, all right. I said, all right, you're going to put a portfolio together and shoot like me. So now I'm, I'm, I'm gearing people up. The recipe works. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, look, you don't have to shoot like me if you don't want, but if I'm going to give you a job, you have to shoot like me. And if you do shoot like me, you're going to make a lot of money with headshot photography because the recipe works. And I don't think there's anything out there better. Otherwise I would have been doing it. I've been doing this too long not to have done that already. So, um, so we promote it through headshot crew and the coaching. I teach people how to do it. I tell them I'm an open book too. Like I don't have anything to hold back. Like I will tell anybody anything. And um, we even do this free week trial where they don't pay a dime and they get a week's worth of emails and videos from me and they get full access to the site, to everything I'm coaching. And we do live Zooms five days a week. So I'm trying to get people to, to do it. And it's working and people are making more money with headshot photography than, than ever before. So I just feel like we're in the right place at the right time with the right product and any portrait photographer out there that doesn't add a headshot specialty to their, to their work is like missing the boat on this. Mm. We talk about this all the time about people not wanting to share how they do something. And it's insane. It's crazy not to do that. You know, at the so end of the day, photographers hold back on that stuff. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's, there's no need, is there really? And you know, no, uh, you, you could tell me everything you know about photography, right? And show me every single way that you do it. You've, you've shown it all on all sorts of um, uh, training and tutorials and whatnot. But I'm still never going to shoot exactly like you. Right. Because I'm not Peter Hurley. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, you know, I can't get the expressions out of people that you can get. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. have a, a, a natural ability to get that smile at the right moment, to get that look to get that position that not everybody can just do like you. I have to say though, there was for me watching one of your videos, um, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, it was something, it's one of your tutorials on, on YouTube, I think that really, um, flip, like it, it pushed that button for me. The fact that, you know, it's not just about the lighting and about the background, all that kind of stuff. It's really about making that connection with your subject with your client and getting that reaction out of them. And you have that really a great way of being with that other person on the other side of the lens and making them feel comfortable. Is that just, is that just like your natural personality? Or did you sort of work that out at one point? Or did that just come natural to you? I, well, I just realized that was the game. You know, when I first started shooting, I was like, I was shooting naturally. I was like, all right, the light's not changing. Like this looks pretty good. Like I was just doing flat light through a window with a V flat behind the subject. So it was white, the white side of the V flat. And I was like, I remember I was with my friend and she was an actress. And I was like, look, I, I just picked up a camera. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I'm going to expose this problem, make this look good, but you have to do something like, like it just looks, it just looks boring if you don't do something. So try stuff. And I remember that, that was the moment that it clicked. I was like, I don't know what to say to her. And I was like, this is the game. So that's it. I mean, that's really it. Now, 
you know, everybody's a little different. Some people that are ultra technical, they might want their images to look a certain way. And then they just lose the ability to have that connection with their subject. And the subject looks vacant and that that's their work. And they, and people are in awe of the way it looks for me. If the human's not, you know, expressing anything, it doesn't, you know, do it for me. It just doesn't do it. I call it, uh, uh, escalated facial anxiety when people get in front of a camera. So they get in front of the camera and they just like, I was like, look, your face, you look like you're freaked out. Like you definitely got an escalated facial situation going on, facial anxiety situation going on. Um, and that's really what you ask as portrait photographers have to ascertain when you get somebody in front of the camera and you gauge that, how much did the, of a change did they make from their own personality to that? And then it just becomes that. So I coach that. You know, I coach, I'm not, I do a headshot intensive workshop. The workshop that I take all over the world is not about, there's no lighting in it. I mean, I have my lights and I teach how I light and I talk about light and I'm an open book so people can ask me anything about light, but it's really about how you interact with your subject. And it's about creating confidence in the photographers to, so that they have the confidence in the, in themselves to do this. So that's really what it is. And yeah, um, there's little nitpicky things that I go through to make the images better. Um, but I, I'm happy to share that with everybody. And actually I hammer people on it on a daily basis on the, on the headshot crew we're doing actually tomorrow, I'm judging this headshot of the month contest. So we have 82 images and I critique each one. So I always tell people, look, if you want a free critique of your image, you can join our the Headshot of the Month content. You can submit, anybody in the world can submit a picture to it and they get a critique by me because I go one by one through all of them each month. So it's usually, uh, the month of May is going to be sponsored by Acrylic Press and they're giving away some, some printing. But uh, last month, somebody tomorrow, somebody's going to win an X-Rite uh, i1 display photo kit. Um, and every month we have a different sponsor. So B and H is sponsored. Westcott sponsored it. Um, every month we get somebody to give us something cool, and uh, they get a bunch of stuff. They get a free year on the Headshot Crew. They get all my tutorials. Um, they get my book. They get you know, amazing. It's it's a good deal. You know, you, something you mentioned there, Peter, was about um, uh, confidence and. I think that's half the battle with a, a client, right? Is if you can portray, even if you're not, for whatever reason, you're, you know, you're starting out, you're new, but if you can portray confidence to that client, they're going to Im immediately feel more at ease, right? And feel a bit more relaxed and they're going to be a bit more themselves rather than someone who's a bit stiff in front of the camera and oh, I don't really know where to put my arms. I don't really know how to point my face and, and that's fine. But if you can put them at ease. And if they can be put at ease by you having confidence in what you're doing, that's, that's half the battle, I think. And yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure everybody's got that. Well, that's why, you know, we never get to the end of our rope on, you know, getting better at this stuff on, our, on building our craft. Like I'm a student of the game. Like I tell every, I learn from my students. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not playing around. Like I have a shoot this week. I got to learn something. You know, I have, I'm shooting, you know, three days in a row, with and shooting three different people or 20 different people, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm learning something from each person I shoot. And, uh, I think it's more about, uh, who you're becoming as a photographer than the actual image itself. Like I'm, I've taken a lot of, I've made a lot of images. I've shot, I don't even know how many people I've shot. 
Um, but when I look back on it, it's the experience that, that not only for me, but for them, that makes a difference. And I say the image is just a byproduct of that. So um, for some reason, being in front of a camera is like a huge challenge in life for people. Uh, whether you're, you know, I modeled for years, you put me in front of a camera, it's, I'm fine. I love it. I'm into it. I, I've done it. It's no big deal, but it's fun. It's, and, it's, and it's challenging at the same time for me in front of it. Uh, so, and that's me, you know, cause I'm did it for eight years straight. Um, so for everybody, it's, it's, you know, everybody that I've ever put in front of my camera, it, it's a, it's a powerful tool. And when a photographer puts it in front of them and points it at somebody and they're in there and that person's in your viewfinder, you've got something on, them. you know, you need to use the, the camera to build confidence in yourself. And then confidence is contagious. So if you, exactly what you said, Nick, like they'll feel it and they'll chill out for you and they'll start to behave for you the way that you, and then you can start to mold them into, into what you want. But if you're worried about your ISO aperture and shutter speed while trying to do that, good luck. Like that should be done. <laughs> yeah. should be done. I wish photographers would get um, consistent on their lighting and their setup and put it and forget about it, set it and forget it. My lights are set up in the, in the other room all the time, just sitting there. So when I switch them on, all the settings are the same. Everything's exactly the same. And it's been basically that way since 2004. Like there's no, nobody would come in here and, and there would be no, no change, no issues with what I'm going to do with them. Like I'm just doing it. I know what I'm doing, you know, with that. Um, I do try and get creative with light, and do different things with everybody and try to create whatever the next look may be. And, you know, sometimes those, last you know a day and sometimes i'm like oh maybe i'll do that next week and then i do it the next week and the week after it's something it's gone but uh but that's the that's the game you know um if you're doing if you've chosen to do portraits that's the game if you shoot you know landscapes or something you don't need to worry about direction you got other things to worry about <laughs> but with portraits i i think that's it i had a i hadn't modeled in years and i had somebody ask me to do an editorial for a magazine. And I was flattered. I was like, what? I'm old. You want me to do that? All right, sure. I got, they were like, can you use your, can we use your studio to shoot it? And I was like, yeah, it's easier on me. I don't have to go anywhere. And uh, they're like, we're going to get a photographer. Didn't tell me who the photographer was or anything. I didn't really see this stuff. I guess maybe I did like the day before. Or and uh, the guy walks in and I was like, and I'm like, look, I'm, I want you to do, I don't want to like sway you with lighting or anything. What do you want? I have all, every light you could imagine. What do you want? What do you want? And we decided on a setup. And then I was like, so meanwhile, while he's point setting up the lights and stuff, I'm just thinking in my brain, why is he doing it like that? Could be better if he did it like this, but I'm going to shut up. I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> and uh, he started shooting and he, he didn't say a word to me. So I was like, I've modeled since 2003, really. Uh, and this was like, you know, a couple months ago. And I'm like, this is a fun thing for me today. I'm just going to go nuts for the guy, even though he didn't say a word to me. Um, and his work's really good, but the, I couldn't imagine if he didn't have me to do my thing or whatever I was doing, what those pictures would be like. I think you, you can't rely on this, the person in front of your camera to do anything. And it's not their job to do anything. It's your job to get them to do something. But it's also something, um, what you call, I remember, um, I think you called it the, the self-acceptance gap, which is yeah, basically, the, uh, yeah. 
you know, when, um, when people are not necessarily that accepting of the way that they look actually in front of the camera. Yeah. Um, they're just not, you know, they come in and that's normal. I mean, we're just, you know, at some point in, in time, humans are going to understand that we didn't pick our parents and we didn't choose the body that we're walking around in while we're on this little thing that's spinning around in space. Uh, and you got to get over it. Like, <laughs> this is my, my goal in life. I mean, that TEDx talk, I, I cry at the end because I'm emotional about it because it's hard to have beautiful people in front of your camera that tell them, just tell you how unattractive they are. It's just hard. It's just hard to hear. It's just, you know, I, I feel like I got a parental hookup and I'm lucky with the looks that I have and I got to model and do all this stuff. And, and I know not everybody feels that way, but what choice do you have? You don't have a choice. I mean, you're getting hit with that. How much energy is being spent on, you know, our looks when we, you know, if you look at the just, just cosmetics or plastic surgery or, or whatever, obviously this is top of mind for a lot of people. And if people, you know, and it's also society, you know, you know, if you look over, over time, what, what, the, what was thought as beautiful, you know, now walking down a runway or whatever. And then in, in whatever, where, when those first portraits were painted of women that, you know, the, the, the concept of beauty changes over time. So, um, you know, we'd have to do the best with what we've got and we have to be happy in our own skin. So whatever that takes for me. And if I, uh, can make somebody feel more, uh, confident in their appearance because I haven't been in front of my camera. That's what I try and do. And that became my purpose. So, uh, and then my purpose is driven. So I drive it through the headshot group. So I can only do that with the people that are in front of my camera. So I, I think you need a purpose. Like every day I'm like, it's not about the money. It's about who I'm becoming and what I can, what I can do for the world. So it's, it's wonderful to point the camera at somebody and get paid for it. I think it's great. But if I can make somebody feel better about themselves and then teach them how to look their best in front of the camera so that when they're not with me and they're in front of another person's camera, they know what to do, uh, I've done something. However, I can only shoot one person at a time. And with the headshot crew, you know, I get them all over the world now. I think that's, that's one of the things that's drawn me to portraiture in general is, you know, is that that moment when, you know, when the client sees themselves on the screen for the first time and they love the, the image and there's this emotional thing that's happening. There's something firing in their brains and it, you just watch them and you just go, that's just an amazing situation that you've just created for that person. You know? That's the moment you wait for. I wait for it and I'm like, okay, here we go. What are we going to get? Because if you watch the TEDx talk, Anna says, I did it with uh, Dr. Anna Rowley and she said, we live in a fault-based society. So people look at that tether capture and you show them your screen. You should be shooting tethered, by the way. If you're in a studio, why not? Absolutely. You know, people, people, everybody looks good this big. You want to show them on your screen. If your lighting, if your lighting sucks, don't shoot tether. If your lighting is good, <laughs> shoot tether. Um, so I shoot tether and then I bring them over. They can't really see the shots as they're coming in from the computer or as they're shooting. Cause I don't want them to be focused on that. They have to kind of look around to see it. And, and um, otherwise I turn the screen. I don't want them looking, you know, just to look, you know, I want them concentrating on what we're doing. So they'll come around and, and then the, yeah, I wait and I'm always curious, like, okay, what's going to come out of their mouth? 
usually when I bring them around, it's because I have a really great shot on the screen that I'm supporting. Like I'm like, that's a shebang right there. As a matter of fact, that's amazing. And then I bring them around, come here, look at this. If you guys don't know, I yell this. Uh, I yell that when I, when I, uh, whenever I get a good shot. I don't just start it one day. So now I yell shebang. I'm, if you're not excited about your work, how the heck are they going to be? Right. Absolutely. So now they, when they come around, I've got excitement and I'm trying to get them to come out to show them because I'm excited. If I just have them come around and look at the tether and I'm not excited, I don't say anything. It's 50, 50, whether you're going to get, Oh, that's amazing. You're, you're a rock star. This is great. Or, Oh, I could look, so, what am I doing? Oh, this is rough, you know. But next to but, fat. Yeah, it's just, you know. Um, and I used to do this thing where I would shoot them with that escalated facial anxiety, which I don't do anymore. So I, I don't allow my brain to send a brainwave down my arm to my index finger to, to, to decrease the distance between the 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 finger in the floor just hit the shutter. Uh, if I, if I see a blank face, I just don't do it. So, um, what I, what I do is I wait until I see something like once somebody looks uncomfortable in front of the camera, your brain as a photographer should be like, okay, this is not on them. This is my job to get them to look, look good and look comfortable. Um, it's funny. I do this thing called the headshot intensified, which is, I do it after my workshops. It's a, my workshops are two days and this is a one day after that. If you take the two days, you could take the third day and that's where the photographers shoot me. So I act like a, but I give myself a name and a job and I just act like I need headshots for this company or whatever. I, I'm just like, I make stuff up and I try to make it funny. So I'll be like, you know, and, and I usually have a bunch of photographers. So I'm different for each photographer. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You so, should totally put a beard on and pretend you're Ivan. I could do that. Well, I just shaved my beard today. I had a beard yesterday. <laughs> um, I just figured I, I, I was starting to get, I was like, where am I going with this? I don't know where I'm going with my hair either. I grew it out and shaved my head and then grew it out again. I don't know what I'm doing. But, um, but yeah, what happened would be like, you put me in front of a camera and there's no change in my uh, appearance whatsoever. Like I don't get I'm not camera shy. I like looking right down the barrel. I'll do anything for any photographer. And if I don't mention it, I would say nine out of 10 photographers would tell me I have to relax. And I'm like, there's this, there's so, and the number one question that I get when I'm on stage and I'm speaking, which I can't wait to get back to, I hope we get to go to conferences again. The number one, if anybody asks me a question out of the audience, the number one is usually how to get your subject to relax. And, um, the first thing you don't do is draw attention to the fact that they're not relaxed. The photographers <laughs> yeah. are like, Oh, you got to relax. I'm like that's so ass backwards. Why do photographers do that? I think it's ingrained in their heads. So I freak out on them when they do that. I'm like, what are you seeing? What are you picking up on? Is it a reflection of you or something? Cause you're definitely not relaxed and I am. So you got to notice what the heck you're, 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 why you're saying that, why you're going there. I think photographers go there because they don't know what to do when somebody's stressed out about a camera. So here's what you do. It's very simple, but it isn't easy. You make them forget about the camera. So telling them that they're not relaxed draws attention to the problem. 
you got to draw attention away from the problem, which means they have to not think about the camera, which means you have to give them stuff to do. Humans can't do that much at the same time. Like they can do, we can do little multitasking things, but if I give a subject a bunch of things to do, there's no way that their attention can go on themselves. And the reason why they're not relaxed is because the attention is on themselves. So take the attention off themselves, give them some stuff to do, and don't let them think about the fact that they're in front of a camera and be confident while you're doing it. And they'll forget about the camera and then they won't, you won't even pick up on that. So can we rid the world of photographers telling people to relax, please? You know, you're absolutely 100% right. I'll tell you one thing. Um, I started last year at some point, um, I started a little project that, you know, I thought was just a little bit, a little bit of fun and I called it three heads in a row. So what I did was um, I got people in front of the camera. I, I asked them to bring three objects that meant a lot to them. Like it could be like their favorite, whatever, something that they would use for their job or you know, something that just, you know, three different things that mean something to them. And so, and so I shot these portraits and they were kind of funny, a little bit humorous, you know. And um, what was really interesting was that in each session, what, what, what what's really happening is, is they're interacting with these objects and they're telling me the stories about those, you know, about those objects. And they completely forget about the fact that I'm holding a camera all that time. And so we get to these, we get to these portraits that are totally relaxed. They're really funny. Um, and, and they at, at no point really thought that they're being photographed, although we're shooting all the way, but we're really having a conversation and occasionally I take a photo, you know? And so it's, it's, uh, it just proves that that's, you know, it's absolutely true. You just make them forget about what it is that we're actually doing because they're really just involved in something completely different. That's exactly what it is. I mean, that's the move. So, and it's personality driven. So you, everybody listening to this has to do it their own way. They can't do it. I mean, I give people stuff to do that I do. If you guys go to hurleyisms.com, it's crap that I say to my, my subjects that's funny that you can't tell jokes. Like people are like, you're so good at making people laugh. One of the hardest things for photographers to do is make people laugh on cue. Like if some, you put somebody in front of your camera right now and you say, okay, make me, and they say to you, all right, make me laugh. And you're like, holy smokes. The game is on. Like I'll get hired just because I can make people laugh. But it is not the easiest thing to do. It's personality driven. It's based on a series of, of, of skills. It's trial and error. It's also uh, repetitive nature. So you guys, if you're listening and you know you photograph people and you you know you know that you've gotten laughter in the past by saying or doing something, then you're like you're going to do it again, right? And why wouldn't you? So that's what we need. We need to get very adept at doing that. So um, some photographers, which I think this is so cheesy, and anytime anybody does this to me when I'm in front of the camera, I'm just like I lay right into them. Uh, they'll tell a joke. Well, there's no First of all, you don't want the, the subject to respond to it. You can't ask questions and you can't tell jokes that need response. Like you can't, because they can't talk in response if they're reacting. All you want is quick hits of laughter. So I came up with this thing, I call it direction by misdirection. So I'll tell them things that make no sense. And what I found is that people um, care more about being right or smart or look like they know what you're talking about rather than their appearance. Their appearance is underneath the fact that they want to appear like they know what you're saying and they want to please you. So what I'll do is I'll say things that make them think, and then you can't think about the fact that you're in front of a camera. So that it just forces them to, to work with me. 
Um, some of them are in um, at that hurleyisms.com thing. I think there's 50 of them for free. And then it's, I have nothing to do with the payment on it. It's a guy set it up and, and he gets paid. But um, I think there's like a thousand of my lines and I keep making them up as I go. I like make them up as I think of weird stuff to tell people. And it's just strange stuff. Like I'd be like, I did the, the London intensive. And I do that. I don't know. I was shooting in a studio that was like underground. And I'd be like, can you tilt your head slightly towards big Ben for me? And it's like, <laughs> you know, they're like, they're like, they want to get it right. Right. They're like, are you serious? They don't know if I'm serious. First of all, they, they, I've been serious up to the point that I lay something like that on them. It seems silly at the same time, it stops them in their tracks and they can't think about their face and what they're doing at the same time that they're trying to do that. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll make it sound like I really care and I really want this, but it's, it's just bullshit. Um, do you guys know how to reticulate your eyebrows? Can you show me some eyebrow reticulation? <laughs> Either one of you? Reticulation. Can't do it? I, I don't even know what... That's a little bit. That's close. <laughs> She's got brow activity going on. So when I say that, so reticulate means like most people, if, and this is a, the way I gauge my, not only my relationship with the person, but the person's personality, you can tell how confident of a human being they are. If they just say to me, like, I don't know what the heck reticulate means. What does that mean? How am I going to do it? If I don't know what it means, you know, it's, I'm telling you, like most people will not say that. Yeah, which really. is interesting. So when somebody blurts that out to me right off the bat, I'm like, you're so confident in yourself that you're just admitting that you don't know what a word means in an English language that sounds like you should know it. It just is a good word because it sounds like we should know it, but we don't. And it means to form a net. So I had this one writer come in and she got pissed at me. She's like, I cannot reticulate my eyebrows. That means to form a net with them. And I can't form a net with my eyebrows. I said, no, but you lose them a bunch of times. And I got some interesting pictures. <laughs> there, there are a whole bunch of really uh, super funny. like awesomely funny uh, images in your book. Actually, I was wondering whether you ever thought about putting a book together out of those like like super funny images. My my wife always tells me I should. I just you know I'm I'm really bad. Like I think there should be a some sort of name for this. Uh, fear of something um i i don't show my work ever like i just like my work on my i if you went through my website i bet you i mean most of this like i might have changed like three shots in the last year i'm guessing like i i'm really trying to get over it But I'm like, everything's good. I'm like, and I, and I look back at the old shots and I'm like, they're not perfect either. Why don't I change them out? And I just have this block that I'm, I'm just like, I get asked all the time. They just asked me, so Acrylic Press is sponsoring next month and the, they're giving away what's called a brag wall. So the brag wall is like 12 shots of your images. So they want me to, and they'll put them in eight by tens and I can hang them in my studio, like in a square, like a huge square of 12 eight by tens. And they're like, okay, give us 12 images. I'm like, you don't understand. That thing's gonna, if you're gonna print that thing and it's gonna go up in my studio, like this is like, like for me to figure out 12 images that I want to walk in and look at every day, are you kidding me? Like that's gonna take me, they're like, we need it now because we want it to be ready. I was like, and now that I'm thinking about it right now, I should, I'm gonna have to do it this week. So maybe it'll break me out of it. I don't know. I'm just one of those photographers that like, if you look at my Instagram, like I don't, 
know when the last image that I took uh, for a client is on there. I mean, I do post them sometimes, but maybe a couple months ago. I don't know. I don't what your Instagram does make... show is you and your personality, I think. I think that yeah. comes across in your Instagram. But no, like you say, I, you have to scroll back a little way to find um, it's probably your last client, client work post, so to speak. I was thinking in April, I was going to take April on every day for the 30 days I was going to post a shot of my work. And then I was like, no, that's, that's just never going to happen. I can't do it. I can't put that on myself. So I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's another side to your photography, though, and that's, that's your portrait photography. Because, you know, I remember the first time I, I came across your website, and this is like, this is going back years, by the way. Um, you had some, you took some photos on the set of Lost. And yeah. I was immediately drawn to those, to those portraits. Um, I think I spent probably the most, the most time I spent on those, on that page. Um, yeah, just I love those. Not only because I was a massive fan of Lost at the time, but. Oh yeah. You know, how did that, how did that come? How did you get to uh, get onto the, the set of Lost and take those images? I work for, my oldest client is called the Vilcek Foundation and Jan and Mirza Vilcek founded it. Um, they, immigrated from they came from Czechoslovakia back then to the United States landed in New York Jan's a, a researcher and he developed this drug that opened up a whole new genre of drugs so they got the royalties off the drugs and they opened up a foundation and they just do really cool stuff with people that are immigrants in the United States so I've been shooting for them since 2002 2001 maybe um And I picked up a camera in 2000. I think I met the president. He wasn't the president. He was the executive director back then. Now he's the president of the company. But um, met him and we've been friends ever since. So uh, it's just been an honor to work for them. So he'll give me jobs. Some of my best, definitely some of my best jobs. He'll call me and he'll be like, okay, I need you to... He, he called me one day and he's like, I think you're going to shoot Mikhail Baryshnikov. And I was like, what? And I was like, that's amazing. I want to shoot that guy. He said, don't get too excited. I don't have the job yet. And then he called me and he gave me the job. And I remember how excited I was to, I, I think shooting celebrities are cool, but I was in, I remember I was an actor. So I was like, I was a failed actor. So I was like, my dream is shooting like Vanity Fair type tile portraits and stuff. And getting on sets and getting behind, you know, we're looking at what, you know, what Annie does all the time and, and photographers like that, they get on these sets and do this stuff. I was like, that would be the ultimate. And he called me and they decided to do this, this thing because um, Lost had a lot of immigrants working on the show. And they said, we want you to go to LA and shoot a bunch of people there. And then you have to go to uh, Hawaii and shoot a bunch of people there. And then we're going to do an exhibition in New York. So it's the only uh, time I ever had an exhibition on my work. I did a little, uh, another little thing, but nothing like this. So, um, I went to Hawaii. The funniest thing about this whole trip is I was, it was awesome and it stretched my muscles because I love my portrait work. It's just that I'm, you know, I, I don't do me I don't do any personal work because I'm just a maniac with my, um, my life. <laughs> I just, I was like, I don't know where personal work fits in. Like most photographers find the time to grow through their personal work. 
And that's just not me. It's never worked that way. So for me to actually do portraiture, I got to book a job, which most people are like, well, he's not known for portraiture. So sometimes it's hard to get the jobs. But this one, this client always, always has my back. Um, so I'm in Hawaii shooting exactly what I love, shooting these actors and these producers and directors and and uh, taking beautiful pictures. I love the, the pictures from that. I was also under a lot of pressure because it was an exhibition. It's actually being displayed in Hawaii now in a museum, which is so cool. So I have to get to Hawaii and see. I've never seen it. I don't even know where it is. I got to find out and get there and check it out. But, um, but I got the job and uh, it's been my favorite job to date for sure. Uh, it's just, it was just amazing. But luckily, I feel like I feel like I would have been worse if I had actually watched the show or was a fan of it. So I had not watched it. So I was like kind of glad. So I watched like the Cliff Notes version just while I was like right before I went. And I was like, oh, it's a good thing because I didn't want to be starstruck or be like crazy. But I get there and we're shooting and they loved what I was doing. And it was the very end of production. And they're like, OK, we need you to we want you to stay and shoot more people. Um, can you stay for a couple extra days? And I was like, and in that year, at that time, the two biggest jobs that I had were in the same week. So I had to come back to shoot an author. Uh, his name was Vince Flynn, unfortunately he passed away, but he was amazing, amazing client. And I was doing portraits for him for his book and, uh, and, and all his books. Um, so I had to leave Hawaii, go off this job, which was the best job of my life, to come back here to shoot Vince, which was amazing, another amazing client. And, and I remember I was like, wow, because a lot of time, you know, as photographers, there's a lot of downtime in between stuff. And I was like, these two in that year just happened to be just like that. Uh, but I guess I wouldn't change any other way. It all worked out really well. Yeah. How did, um, obviously, with that being what, one of your only exhibitions that you had and, uh, you know, with, with what you said about how you feel your work being presented, do you think that that affected the way you conducted that shoot? Um, not just the fact that it was an exhibition, but given how you feel about e exhibiting your work, do you think that affected how you went about that shoot? I was just freaked out. I just wanted to please the client. I remember just being like, I can't believe this opportunity. Um, and I, I am not a prep guy. Like I don't, I'm doing a big shoot this, this, um, Friday and Saturday. And the woman who's the producer on it, like put me through a zoom for like an hour and the other day. And I was like, I've never zoomed for an hour about a, about a shoot ever. I'm like, this is crazy. And then she wanted to do another zoom this morning. So I get on the zoom this morning and I'm like, I'm like, I got a half hour. I, Cause I, I'm really not like, I just can't, I'm not, I'm not capable of paying attention for more than a half hour. Anyway, so I'm, like, I'm like, unless I'm talking about myself, like here, you know? <laughs> but I was like, Oh my God. So you know, I was like, are they, are they kidding me? So I do zero prep work. You know, I actually challenge myself that way. I kind of like that. I like the challenge. Like, that, like it's also when people come in here, I mean, I, I still like to, uh, when I get a booking, if, if, if we know if somebody like the assistant calls or something and says, Hey, we have a CEO or we, we have somebody who's a, you know, a well-known individual. I like Googling them and then hit the images button. 
and then looking at what I'm going to smoke the minute they walk in the door. I'm like, oh, I got all these images. This is easy. So it's like, I'm just going to blow this guy away once the, or this person, you know, once I start shooting them because their images on, on Google are so bad. And that's the thing is that, and that's what a lot of photographers I think get hung up with. I think that there's a lot of people don't really, the uh, photographers are worried about like the person next door picking up a camera or the iPhone getting so good that people don't need us, you know, or whatever, these kinds of things. And I'm like, look, I, I look at all that stuff with these people when I hit those images and hit Google and it's a bunch of crap. I'm like, Hey, Let's go. I'm ready. This is great. This is why I get hired. These people want something special. I'm going to provide it. And that's the way it's going to be no matter what happens in the industry. That's just what I do, you know, and they don't have the, you can't go out and, you know, it's hard. Like my, they have to be willing to pay me for my rate for what I do. Um, but I think that um, a lot of photographers are in this fear-based mode, worrying about the industry um, when I'm like, why don't you just go, go make money? Stop worrying about the guy next door. Go make some money. Show him what you got. Work on your craft, make your art, make it, make yourself stand out like a sore thumb because you're so freaking good. Yeah, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to ask you some, something. A, a mutual friend of ours has asked me to ask you this question of somebody, uh, Stefan Bollinger. Um, oh, really? Here we go. <laughs> so he said, uh, something happened with spray cans over when you were shooting Lost. <laughs> supposed to tell us about that my favorite picture is of this painter on lost so maybe he just wanted me to tell you the story because the story's great so because i don't prep and i i'm flying by the scene of my pants they put me on this studio lot and i had to go walk around and just find people i was supposed to shoot there wasn't really they were like hey this guy chris you got to shoot him he's he's painting the stalagmites in the cave that they're going to shoot in tomorrow go find him so I go and I find him and he's there and I'm like, Hey, what's up? I'm going to, I'll set up to shoot you now. So I actually have a timeout and he sent me up for his shoot, I think. And I'm all ready to shoot him. And the producer of the show taps me on the shoulder had walked up with his family and was like, Hey, do you mind taking the picture of us? So I look at Chris and he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. do do them fine. I'm around. Just get me whenever I was like, all right, I'll find you later. He's like, cool. So I shoot the producer of the show. And, um, I get this shot that I'm not hugely a fan of. So I'm kind of glad I didn't shoot the, the, the painter there, but it's, it's still a decent shot of the producer, but I, I wasn't like crazy about it. I, I don't know. I was okay. Um, but I go to find the painter and he's at his workbench and I look at it and I'm like, don't move, stay right here. I'm coming. And it was just awesome. So I get, uh, I get to the workbench and I'm like, I'm like, it was just amazing because I like my portraiture for some reason. I like it really busy. I like my headshots super clean, like nothing to look at but the face. But when I have a portrait, I love it to be busy. So this guy had on this like Hawaiian shirt with like guitars all over it. There was all this paint and everything. And, and um, there was one light above him, which I was shooting Kino flows all the time at the time. And, and they're just, you know, fluorescence. And it was a, uh, it was a fluorescent light. And I was like, I hope that it looks good to me. I'm just going to do it with that one light and not even light this. And I shot it. Um, he did, I said, do you want to do anything? And he took his spray gun and he said, I want my spray gun in the middle. And he put his spray gun and he put it in the middle, in the middle of the, on the table, on the bottom of the shot. So when you look at the shot, he's lit up, but the whole, all the paint around him and everything is, is kind of dark and muted and moody. 
and it's just a killer shot. So maybe that's what he meant. Cause I was like spray can spray paint. It was, that's the only thing I could think of. Maybe, maybe there, maybe there was a Swiss accent. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, <laughs> but great story. Nevertheless. Yeah. So what's, um, what's what's coming up for you in the future because i know um, we haven't really talked about um you know hurley pro and um and i know you've got a whole bunch of really awesome uh, products um out that are it's one of, that's one of the things you know it's like whenever i see you come out with with some kind of products like the um like the sandbags they're not really sandbags you know you yeah. feel water it's like yeah. i always think like man this is such a good idea why did nobody yeah. else think about this i don't know i thought that was a great idea too it's amazing. Yeah, you guys go to Westcott and get some get some H2 Pro bags because they're, you know, like, why would I ever bring a sandbag anywhere? We just fill them up with water when we get to the set. I Maybe people were worried about water and electricity and lights, but they don't leak and they don't break and they're... I never had a problem. It, it makes so much sense. Like anybody who's ever set up a gazebo type of a thing will know that, you know, the best weights that you can get for those are these water-filled plastic things. You fill with water and then, you know, because yeah. it makes it so easy. So it, it makes a lot of sense. The bane of my existence is whenever we go on a shoot and we have to drag these damn sandbags with us. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, it's a really, it's a great product. Um, I, my product uh, development side of my brain has stopped for a while. So I'm like, I don't really have anything going on. I made these pro boards. I, I, I we distributed them around Europe and, and then Westcott took them on. Um, but they, you know, they're a beautiful surface, but they're heavy and I set them up no problem, but other people are like, Oh my gosh. So they're not quite as convenient as photographers like. So we discontinued them, which is fine. Um, just to make things easier on people, but the lighting, um, my flex kit is going strong. So I just developed this light, the Cineflex from Westcott. And, um, you know, that's been awesome because like, I was really upset. I went to LA and did that lost job and I shot in LA with Kino flows, but then I had to fly to Hawaii and I was like, there's no way I'm bringing Kino flows on a plane. Like it's just the box is like enormous. Like you can't. So I wanted to develop something that I can go all over the world with. And that's the flex kit. So now I just travel everywhere with them and I get my light and I love it. How do you, how do you think um, COVID um, and the pandemic generally has, has sort of changed the industry um, from here and forward, because we're starting to open well, up again. I think it remains to be seen. Um, I think for the photographers that are used to doing, you know, trade, I mean, photo has gone, like photo is done, right? It's just, it's just terrible. You know, that show was huge. I was glad I went when I did, I, I got to see it. I only went once. Um, but you know, that's just sad. Uh, I think trade shows as we know it are, are going to, be different and maybe smaller and maybe not even exist. Who knows? Things are happening virtually. Um, I think on that end of things, I think for portrait photographers, although my friend John Keatley is doing jobs, shooting people through the computer. Um, so people are doing these virtual jobs, which I find amazing. Uh, and he's just a master at it or figured out how to master. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy doing that. Um, but I really hope that people still get in front of cameras. You know, and I think people, their confidence is going back, uh, coming back with this COVID thing and the vaccination. I think that's going to subside and we're only going to get busier. We've noticed it across the headshot crew. The photographers are now working, whereas a lot of people weren't working all year. Now a bunch of us are working um, and it's it's trickling down to smaller markets. 
Um, and I think that's going to continue to happen. I, uh, you know, I, I also think that, you know, you always got to stay ahead of things and, and try to anticipate what's going on. I mean, I'm constantly, constantly trying to tweak my business model and what I do and what I offer and how I do it. Um, I think that's really important. As we've, we've certainly sort of realized that things are starting to come back here because in the UK over here, we're, we're starting to open up again. So, if, you know, mm -hmm. it's a stepwise stepwise approach over here it is yeah. it is and you know it oh, i don't, don't know about you peter but we i we have certainly found it difficult to almost get going again and what i mean by that is that i don't know how to be busy anymore <laughs> you know i've yeah. forgotten how to be efficient i've forgotten how to be f more fast-paced you know it's amazing i felt the most unproductive I was like, oh my gosh, this is a blessing in disguise. I'm actually going to work on my images and work on my portfolio and get some. And I just found myself way less productive than yeah. a normal than when life was somewhat normal, right? I mean, it was like, how did I get so much done in a day that I like now with COVID, I'm not doing anything and I don't, I'm trying to get stuff done, but it's not the same. You know? I'm hoping that um, the, the world, if, if you want to you know, look at it that way, don't quite get back to where we were with that. And that we get somewhere there. So we're too, too laid back now. But if we get somewhere there, but we keep that top 10% off still and just ease back ever so slightly, I think we're going to be a, a, well, does, does, a healthier nation. There's a whole bunch of new things that have, have come about just because of the pandemic, like Clubhouse being one of them, for example. Yeah, Clubhouse would be cool. Yeah. You know, that's, that certainly didn't exist as far as I know. I'm a very new adopter of Clubhouse. Uh, it's only really existed for me for the last four weeks. <laughs> but but yeah. it's existed every day and most hours of the day. That's right? very true. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I did enjoy Clubhouse for quite some time. So it's been, it's been interesting. And I wonder, and I kind of got bored with that a little bit too. So who knows how long that's going to last for people. I pop in every day, every now and then, though, see what's going on. It's interesting to listen to, I find, you know, when I'm editing or something, I need, I need something to listen to. It's like an interactive podcast, almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just, yeah it is, isn't it? Yeah. So, Peter, you've mentioned the Hedgehog Crew uh, before. It's a, it's a great platform where people can, can learn and improve themselves uh, in becoming better Hedgehog photographers. Um, what would somebody have to do to join the Hedgehog Crew? All they have to do is go to hedgehogcrew.com and sign up. And what that does is you just register and it gets you a free week with me. So it doesn't ask for any kind of payment or anything. It's totally free of charge. And you get a week's worth of emails and videos and you get started down this headshot journey. If at the end of the week you like it, then you can sign up and the plans are easy. It's either 25 bucks a month or, or even discounted more than that if you go for the annual plan. But we're, I'm live on Zoom like five days a week with the, with the crew, you know, and if I'm not on our, I have mentors that help me run it as well. So they're on, we're doing contests all the time. We really take people's work and look at it and then find out how to fine tune it. But the best thing is the community. I mean, it's just amazing because we're really co-creators. We're all building together. Like all our business models are based off this one crew member that made a ton of money and taught us how to do it. And it's called the TNT method by this guy, Tony Tafe. And, uh, actually he's from, he's from Liverpool, but, uh, uh, he's living in, uh, in Arizona now, but he's done very well and he changed my business model. So there's like all sorts of things in headshot, I call it headshot land. 
that photographers can benefit from and you have a community behind you and social proof that it's working. So it's cool. I love it. And I'd love to have anybody to try it. You got nothing to lose. We certainly, I mean, we've had some uh, headshot uh, crew mentors on the show before. Um, Ivan Weiss, for example, is is one of your mentors, and you know his work is outstanding. If that's anything to go by, then I know you know you're going to be in excellent hands. And having you, Ivan runs my portrait track, so we also have a portrait portion. I just believe that you know I was a portrait photographer before I was a headshot photographer. I wasn't like all of a sudden picked up a camera and went, "Oh, I'm just going to take headshots." I was shooting portraits and shooting models. And then I got into headshot photography. So um, we have a portrait track in there. And I also believe that you can't be successful as a photographer if you're not working on yourself. So we have this portion called the success track where I talk about personal development and the personal development that I've gone through, as well as uh, we talk we talk about business and, and how much money we're making, what packages we do exactly. And, and like I said, most people are open books like me. I am. I'll answer anything uh, anybody's got to say and help anybody out to make them more successful. I think that's, I mean, that's extremely useful because I know from my own experience, really, you know, when you start setting yourself up um, as a photographer in any, in, in any town, it might be a big town, it might be a small town, in any environment, you're really facing the same, the same issues. How, how much do you charge is a big one. Like, <laughs> you know, what do you think people are willing to pay for the kind of services that you're, that you're offering and all that kind of jazz? Um, and I know from experience that um, that um, a lot of these questions are being discussed um, as part of the Headshot crew, for example. So, so we have come to the end of Camera Shake Podcast, episode 55. It was awesome to have Peter Hurley on the show. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This was awesome. If you want to join the Camera Shake community, please head over to camerashakepodcast.com. This little button um, on the top that says join our community. Hit that. Um, and sign up for our newsletter. We will not bombard you with newsletters every day, clearly, but once in a while, we'll let you know what's going on and what's new and what's coming up. So without further ado, that's it. Oh, and of course, we're going to say whatever um, all YouTubers say all the time. Um, you know, please make sure to hit the like button, uh, hit that bell. It'd be super awesome if you would subscribe to our channel. Um, if you're listening to the audio version on Apple Podcasts, for instance, just subscribe to the show so you'll always know when a new episode comes out. Leave us a little review, all of that kind of jazz. Also, just get in touch if you're out there, you know, and you enjoy listening to our show. Send us a message, send us a DM on Instagram, um, send us an email. Uh, tie a note to a pigeon and send it over. We always love hearing from you. That being said, that's us for today. See you again next Thursday.